0: Well, as Tim said, uh, it is an honor and a privilege to have Brian back with us tonight, and uh, it started because I wanted him to come. As the teens were uh, getting ready for our missions trip, uh, I wanted him to come and share with the teens on uh, being effective in evangelism and sharing our faith. I know that's a passion that he has uh, with open-air campaigners uh, and just as a a dear brother in Christ, And, and that kind of parlayed itself into him well I'm going to be there so I'll share in the evening service and and then that parlayed itself into well I'm going to be there in the more evening service so Brian would you be willing to share uh, in the morning service for graduation as well and I'm so thankful that he did he did a great job this morning uh, and I'm excited to hear what he has uh, in store for us this evening as he shares uh, with us this evening as well we all set brother all right (laughs) the time is yours great thank you How's that for the microphone today, huh? All right, good. Well, it's good to be here again with you guys. It really is. I'm sitting here looking around, and I just know so many people here, uh, and, and have known, see the Kylans back there for a long time. have known a lot of you guys. So feel like family. And by the way, I forgot to say hello from Gabe and Ellen this morning. So if you see them, Tell them I didn't forget and that I remembered. It was the first thing I said. All right, so they say hi from Life Action. We were actually down there for the first time, sadly, um, to visit them in their new house just last weekend. So anyways, hi from the, almost at Harmon's Morris's. I say Ellen and Gabe because Ellen's my sister. So she's first, I guess. Sorry, Gabe. So um, let's see. 20, do you have a clock? You do back there. All right. I'm going to do my best here to, to be careful with that. Um, I know you're supposed to be out at 8 o'clock sharp. Right, Chad? All right. So, four most important questions is the title. Um, That'll get you in trouble when you make statements or assertions of never, always, most important, that kind of stuff. I usually don't like those. Um, But I think. So when you preface it with I think, then there's a lot of wiggle room. But I do think these are the four most important questions. Uh, And there has to be a reason, like, why would they be? So you have to kind of, you know, get that done first. So let's check this out first, because um, the reality that exists makes these the four most important questions. So what I'm going to do here, put a little dude on the board, all right? This is you. This is me. And... We're going to actually talk with the youth tonight um, a little bit about this, so whether it's a little redundant later on or not, I, we have to look at our condition as people. We have to understand what is the reality, what, what makes these four questions we're going to talk about tonight the most important questions. And, you know, let me do this. I carry these with me. There's fun stories that go with these. I'll tell you, God gave us these. These are the original ones, by the way. Um, he only thought he broke them, but they didn't. They slid. So um, these are the Ten Commandments. We know what they are. We're in church. Uh, but the thing is, at least the final six are just clearly written on the heart of man. And I think the knowledge of God is there, too, and all, this kind we can, all these things we can talk about. But why did God give us the Ten Commandments? You see this guy looking at the law of God. Um, This this is helpful to take the time to to talk about the Ten Commandments. Why did God give Moses, but why did God give us the Ten Commandments? Um, I've done something with this. I've kind of made it into a little illustration here. But um, who looks in a mirror before they go out in public? Go ahead and raise your hand. I can pick out the ones who don't, but yeah. All right. So we, we look in a mirror when we go out in public because we want to what? Make sure we're approaching, you know, yeah, we look decent, okay? So when you look in that mirror, I wanna see what I look like, not really, but I have to, and then, you know, fix what I can, right? So if your hair's messed up or you got stuff in your teeth, that's what you're trying to have it point out before you go out and everybody has to see that, right? So that's what you do. But what you hopefully don't do is then take the mirror down and start brushing your hair with it, brushing your teeth with it, and right? That's just weird. Right? That's not the purpose of the mirror. So it would help us to understand that the law of God was given to us, and I put this on it right here, okay, to show us. Ooh, wow, that shines lights out there. Reflection. This is how God views you, right here, in light of this. So we do the test, and we say, well, how do I look? I mean, this is what Romans 3.20 says, right? The law was given to us to show us that there's a problem. Not to fix the problem, it never was. It was never given to us to fix the problem. So let's do the little test here. And as we look at the 10 Commandments, any, any number of them, I mean, you, you could say, how have I done, how do I look? Have I ever lied, have I ever stolen, have I ever dishonored mom and dad, right? We throw the easy ones out there. But we've all failed at those. Thing is, if we keep going down the list, or up the list, however you want to look at it, we continue to fail time after time. And we see that we are a liar, we are a blasphemer, we are someone who's actually broken, really, especially when Jesus made it clear about what the heart is and how God looks at the heart in the New Testament. We've broken the laws of God, all of them, we're guilty. And when James says, if you break one law, you're guilty of them all, it doesn't mean you've literally murdered someone with a gun or a knife or whatever. It means that if you've lied once, you're a liar. I mean, if you stole once you're a thief. If you've broken God's law once, you're a lawbreaker. It puts you in a category that we're all in, okay? So when the Bible says that there is none righteous in Romans 3.10, not even one, it's correct. For all have sinned, right, and fall short of the glory of God. So this is what happens when we look at the law of God and we're honest We take that test, and I love to do this in the open air with people. I wish I could tell you some of those stories. Just so fun to see what the law of God reveals. See, this isn't mine. This isn't my code here, and I'm not subjecting it upon, I'm not subjecting you to my rules. This is a much higher authority that I've subjected myself to, but it is God's righteous decree. This is what, he alone has the right to pass decrees like this, and then judgments and things. So it puts us in a different category. It's not about you and me with different preferences. Whoa. So we see ourselves as having broken God's law. That's what sin is. Willing rebellion or defiance against a known right. So when we sin, we become sinners. All right, so in light of this, and I didn't do that much justice to be honest with you, but we're going to get into the four most important questions. This is hopefully something we have already understood and would agree with God that we are, in fact, sinners when looking at the law of God, and we have a need. That's what it points us to, is a need. Something that we can't fix on our own. So, let's go to the four most important questions in light of that. and Hopefully, and then if you guys, if there's any of the youth in here, youth group, or people that are going to be in the, uh, the training afterwards, you can write down some of these verses. I'm going to quote the verses. We're not going to take time, open your Bible too, but I'll try to do the references just so you can have them because these are good ones to know where they're at. This is again, why do we believe what we believe? You're going to hear about that later. So Jesus, the first most important question is that right there. It really is. Who is Jesus? Is he a spirit brother? Spirit brother, maybe, of Lucifer? Maybe he's Michael the archangel. Maybe he's a prophet. Maybe he's just a good man in history that we should learn from, a good model of what it is to be a good citizen, or whatever. Who who, who is Jesus? Guys, as Christians divine cults, this is one that they all have in common, is they get the person of Jesus Christ wrong. They do. That'll put you right into the cult category. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? And this is what I'll say, but again, what I say doesn't matter if it's not grounded in truth. But Jesus is God. He's God. Jesus is God. Don't shy away from saying that. Don't be shy to say it anywhere to anyone. And if they say, who says? Well, angels have said, right? Miracles have spoken to that. Prophets have told us, the Holy Spirit actually at one point that we know of for sure, remember when the all I mean, and Jesus himself said, that's the thing too that will come under attack. I talked to many Muslims and of course they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe he's a prophet. Jesus is in their book 93 times. So it's not that Jesus isn't there, the historical man, born of a virgin and everything, but he's a prophet. Well, Jesus never claims to be God. That's what they tell me often. Well, he does. He claims to be God many times. He actually says, to those who know me, if you know me, you know God. If you see me, you've seen God. If you receive me, you receive God. If you hate me, you hate God. If you honor me, you honor God. It's to know God. And there's scriptures to each one of those if you want to know where they're at. Mostly in the book of John. In Mark, I think it's for chapter 16, He says to his disciples, who, so this is Jesus asking his own disciples, who do people say that I am? They say, well, some think you're John the Baptist, some think you're Jeremiah, some think you're another prophet. And they're still saying that today in their own way. Who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're right, Peter. And you know the rest of that story. See, So, Jesus is God. If he's not God, guys, the rest of the story doesn't matter. We have no Savior, and all there is is bad news. The news I started off with. The reality of our separation from a holy and righteous God because of our acts of rebellion against him. and a the story. There's no hope. But if Jesus is God, then the rest of the story before his coming to earth and after all makes sense. Okay? So, who is Jesus Christ? He is God, Christ, King. And then in Philippians 2, 6, here's another good verse in the Bible that would say who he is, his deity. It says, Jesus Christ, though he is in the form of God. You just stop there. Usually we get into what he did. But this is his position. He is in this eternal position as God. But he didn't hold on to that. It says he humbled himself and he took on flesh, and he's made in the likeness of sinful flesh. So, and I love this, because as we look at the claims of the Bible, too, as Christians, it's so easy we pick the things that work real well and sound good and make a nice little package, but I encourage people to actually look look at what you're saying you believe. What the Bible tells us, and what I say I believe, and I do, is that the eternal God, Jesus, who spoke all things into being, right? He spoke from nothing something. Wow, that God, this is the claim, became flesh, universe, little planet that could sustain life, people and all the other life forms and stuff, but people who were created to have a genuine relationship, and then God becomes flesh, manifests himself to us on planet Earth? I mean, I think the next question is pretty obvious. I mean, if you didn't know the answer. If this is true, why did he do it? Luke 19.10 says that he came to do what? Came to save sinners. It's a true act of rebellion that Adam did, and we've been doing it ever since. And there's no hope of reconciling that relationship that God created us for. No hope. Plan's not changed, but there's no hope. So if God didn't do something for us, there'd be no hope. So why did He come? He came to save sinners. So, We didn't do much justice here, but when we look at this, God also tells us in the Scripture that for those who are sinners, which is all of us, the consequences started. I mean, Adam knew what the consequence of rebellion would be right in the garden. Nothing's changed, but the consequence of sin is what? It's death. So let me put this in here, even though it's not the word I have ready, so let's see if I can make it that. Uh, Let's see. That's called adapting, all right? The consequence of sin is death. So, if the creator of the universe and everything in it becomes flesh and he does this to save sinners from the condition or the reality that they find themselves in or are in, and the consequence of sin is death, then here's the third question, How is he going to remedy the problem of sin? Which is the fulfillment of the promise in Genesis 3.15 and all throughout. I mean, this is no mystery to God. This is the story of the Bible. It really is. The, 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 The plan of God to reconcile people back to himself is that he... I mean, if he's going to ransom us, the cost is, the, is, is, is death. That's, that's the cost. So he is going to be the substitute. The substitutionary death is what he came to do. And guys, this is the story in a nutshell because it says in Romans 5.12, it says that sin entered the world by one man and death by sin and death passes upon all men because all have sinned. So that's Adam's contribution. And then in verse 19 of the same chapter, Romans 5, it says, but by one man's act of righteousness, it says the many became righteous, and that man is Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 3.18, It says that Christ also suffered for sins once, it says, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Guys, it's so important for us to understand that you and I couldn't die for one another. We can't pay the debt that's required. So when we're sharing the gospel and we're talking about the person of Jesus Christ, don't forget the life of Christ. He lived under the law. Perfectly. That's what it says in Hebrews. He was tempted like we were in every way. He wasn't born and then his blood shed and he paid for the sins of the Lord. I mean, he, he lived under the law. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. So that he was a sufficient substitute for sinners. In 1 Peter 2.24, it says he bore... Our sins in his body, in his own body on the tree. So, this is how God ransomed us and purchased us and, and created a way for us to be reconciled back to himself. Great verse to know where it's located because I think it's one of the most concise verses in the Bible is First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 about what the gospel is because that's what you're hearing right now is the gospel, the good news and Paul says hey, I'm delivering this to you guys, it's of most importance, I also received it, he said, he said how Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures which next week after a service in the evening I'm going to be also talking to the youth group again and talking about the authority of the word of God even Paul says I'm going to tell you something that I received and it's of most importance he says Christ died for our sins according to God's word he's even preaching sidebar but I mean when I was at Howell High School this year and one of the messages there talking about Isaiah man happens to be the best preserved scroll, right, that we found in 1947, which happens to be the most quoted book in the New Testament of the Old Testament, Isaiah. But it, apart from that, it's a 1,000 years removed from the oldest Hebrew writings we had, and man, now we've got one that's before Christ by 200-some years, maybe. And I read that when I'm talking with Jewish people on the streets. And I say, hey, let me, can I just read something? And you tell me who you think this is, and you read in, in Isaiah 53, and I've yet to talk to a Jew that's a devout Jew that doesn't think it's talking about Jesus. They say, well, that's talking about Jesus. I agree, now would you venture a guess on where I'm reading from? And they, they won't look at your New Testament, but they'll say that's from your New Test that's from your newer writings. I say, no, it's not. It's from one of your prophets here in Isaiah. You see that. I mean, this is, this is something that's not new. It's, it's not. This is God's plan from the beginning. It says for uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, for Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the requirement of sin is death. And it says in Hebrews... that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So that's why it's so distasteful for for God when he sees us trying to work our way to heaven, when he sent his son to be the substitutionary sacrifice for his sins, the atoning sacrifice. When people try to do good works, God says, that's not going to cut it. You're not going to be able to earn your way to heaven. I don't owe anyone heaven. It's not going to happen. It says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Bible says that God made him, his son Jesus, who knew no sin, he was without sin, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Guys, you, we have to be made right with God before we stand in his presence or we will get what we deserve. We will get the judgment of God. Do you realize this gospel, this good news, is the means by which God can now show us mercy. He's restrained. See, there's things that God can't do. But the only things that God can't do he can't do because he's restrained himself from doing it in his own character. Nothing's keeping him outside of himself. But he can't lie. He can't cease to exist. But see, he also is a just God. And he can't ignore sin. Every sin will be judged. Every sin will be judged. But not every sinner will be judged for their sins. You talking out of here. What are you talking... Every sin will be judged. But not every sinner will have to be judged for their sins. See, this is a biggest thing, too, especially when talking to Muslims. See, they've got some of the story. God is merciful. God is just. Well, that's what my book says, too. But my book explains how he can be both and yours doesn't. See, this is what separates us right here, is we have a Savior. God can remain just now while forgiving sinners of their sin because the debt's been paid. If the debt's not been paid, no matter how merciful and kind-hearted and loving he is, if he's a just judge, he has to uphold the law and he has to pass sentence. You see what I'm saying? So there's, there's no hope without Christ. And you have to know who he is for him to be able to pull this off. If he's not God in the flesh without sin, then he's unable to stand in place of the unrighteous because he's in line with us. That's what it would be if I died for your sins. I just jumped in front of you in line, right? So it's not going to accomplish anything. So, in light of that now, if we see, okay, Jesus is God, and he is, and he came to seek and to save the lost, he came to save sinners, how did he do that? By becoming a substitute with his own life. And he died for sins. The final question is this right here. I don't know if anybody thinks they know what it is, but it's, it's huge, because this is, again, we're the, we're the questioner, we're the one asking the questions. So this is for people, the most important questions, in my view are these for? For you, for the individual. Why would I put what up there? Because what I just shared with you right here is the gospel. It's the gospel. And it really doesn't matter in the sense of whether it's true or not, doesn't make it true or not, whether you believe it or don't believe it. The gospel is... It's already happened. It's what God has done. This is the good news. This is the means by which God can show us mercy instead of the judgment that we deserve. But the question what? The final question is, what what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus? Why did he come? How did he accomplish the saving of sinners? Well, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? And this is a good question to ask people, too. Ask yourself this. I don't know who's out here today. It could be someone here that... Was hanging their hat on heaven based on the way they live or the fact that they do go to church. I could be someone in this room. You need to understand that this is no, the finished work of Christ. So, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with this good news? What are you going to do with this message? Because the Bible says, and actually, Jesus speaking here in Mark 1, verse 15, he says, It's time for you to repent. And believe the gospel. That's salvation. Just because this took place, and it did, and it's all the work of God, doesn't mean everybody gets to go to heaven. It just doesn't. It means it's a sufficient sacrifice for anyone who will call the name of the Lord. This sacrifice from the infinite God is able to pay for any and all sin. Yet you don't know what I've got in the shadows of my life. You're right, I don't. But the one who made the promise does know, right? And he's able. This is an infinite gift. It's able. So it says in John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is very much a point in time for the individual, so it's not this universal thing that God did, it is universal that He did it, but it doesn't apply to everyone, it applies for those who believe. Guys, there's many people that literally reject, reject the name of Christ. I'm at these high schools I get to be in. We've held 135 Bible clubs this school year in different public schools. And you talk to these kids, and they if they understand the message, that it comes with a repentance. A turning from your mindset, right, and turning to. They don't want to receive. They literally tell me this. Who doesn't want to go to heaven? Of course. But I don't want to change the way I live. I don't want. To. And it, you don't have to, for your justification. But you do have to, to repent. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It is. It's a. It's a requirement. You're not saying add Jesus to your life. He'll get you out of hell. But don't change anything, it's just God just wants to give you some pass, free pass. No, this is repent of your sin. Acknowledge and agree with God that you are who I, you say I am. I'm a sinner, and I have failed the test, but your Son came to save me. It says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John three seventeen, For Jesus did not come to this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The next says in verse eighteen, "If you believe, you are no longer in Him. You are no longer condemned. But if you do not believe, you're condemned already. So it would help us to understand that God's not up there with a ball bat, waiting for us not to believe. That's a bad thing. No, you remain who you are, separated from God eternally. You just you're, you're condemned already because you've not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Very exclusive, very narrow." but it's God's way. It's what God has done. This is the love of God. This is what he's done for us. So the what is for salvation. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but I think very, very clearly these are the most, because this is eternal stuff, and we are eternal beings. Christians and non-Christians alike are eternal, and there's an eternal destiny, and there's an eternal relationship that's going to look one way or another, and it's based on this message, the finished work of Christ, and what you do with it. I mean, rejecting it, you stay who you are. So I want to write this up here. finished think of the eternal mind of God I mean when Jesus said that he knew what he was saying but he came to seek and save sinners that could not save themselves we are the sinners, we cannot save ourselves and he says I've lived the life under the law that's required so I've lived a righteous life And I'm dying a sinner's death. And the sins now, that's what it said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, right? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So the sins of the world are being placed on him. And he says, now we can show them mercy. Because there's been someone who's been able and willing to pay for their sins. So it says in Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ offered for all time, right, a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. I want to encourage you guys, I never assume that everyone's a Christian in the room, you know, but I want you to do your own math, I guess, right now before the Lord and say, am I one of those who have received the forgiveness of God based on the finished work of Christ? It's a good thing to ask. It's a good thing to ask. I'm telling you, we we sometimes hang our hat on Christ Plus or just us. But anything short of what Christ did for you is an error. Your hope is built on lies. You can't do it. So do that litmus test. See if you've actually responded to this message in faith in Christ alone. And then I'm going to pray and uh, we'll we'll be finished this evening. But if you haven't, guys, call out on the name of the Lord. you realize that the Apostle Paul, sometimes I wonder how much are we supposed to encourage people to actually make a decision, you know, these kinds of things. This is a spirit. Of course, we can't create faith and all that kind of stuff, so there's there's that tension. But as an ambassador, believers... If you've been reconciled, you've been given a ministry of reconciliation, and Paul said as an ambassador of Christ, I'm going to, on behalf of Christ, plead with you, says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, right? Be reconciled to God. I don't know where you're at, but I ask you just to consider that before the Lord, and if you need to submit yourself to God tonight, understanding that he will save you, then do that. Do that, and let somebody know. I mean, talk. Get on. Get on with it, okay? Because we need to, we need to have each other in our lives for this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for First Baptist here in St. John's and the ministry that is going on in these, inside the walls of this church and outside. Uh, Lord, I'm very encouraged with that, and you know I am. It's just an encouragement to see faithful people. Um, failing and getting back up and submitting themselves to God and the, the whole journey of what it is to be a Christian and walking together with one another and to see the fruit of, of this, this church and the ministries that are coming out of it. and Lord, I just thank you for them. Lord, I pray um, that if there's anyone in this room that's an unbeliever or has not yet repented and believed in the gospel for the forgiveness of their sins, that this would be the night. Lord, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and I pray that you would just convict them and make them miserable in their sin because there's no way else to get out from underneath the guilt until they submit to you. Lord, if and I assume the majority here, Lord, it's just as we've, we have this as part of our testimony, we know the time, whether the exact day or not, but we know that we are part of the family of God, blood bought by your son. Lord, I pray this would encourage us and, and give us energy and a desire to go out in confidence because we know we're confidently standing in the truth of what can set people free from the bondage of sin and death, ultimately, Lord, and separation from you. I pray that we would have a heart for the lost as you have, and that we would just go out there with this message, armed with truth and compassion, and share the gospel with lost people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.